In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Hi, I'm Keith Law. Welcome to this week's episode of The Keith Law Show. I will be joined in a few moments by my colleague, Evan Drellick, to talk about the latest in the ongoing negotiations for the resumption of the baseball season between Major League Baseball and the Players Union. First, we'd just like to remind everyone that I had another mock draft go up last week on Thursday. Uh, This year's Major League Baseball draft will take place on June 10th. I will have another mock draft going up this week on June 3rd, and am at least tentatively targeting to have a big board, a ranking of the top 100 players for the draft, up hopefully by Friday. This does depend on how much I'm actually able to get all the writing done, but that is certainly the goal right now. So I will have another mock this Wednesday. One more mock available on the morning of June 10th since we're drafting that day. This year's draft is only five rounds. I am going to just mock the first round, but my plan, at least after the fact, is to try to say something about every player who's drafted. Unless, of course, someone takes some player totally out of left field, I will at least leave myself the out that maybe I'll miss one or two. I'd also like to remind everyone that my second book, The Inside Game, is now out, available anywhere you buy your books. Forbes magazine recommended it as a gift for Father's Day. The New York Times recommended it as one of their top summer reads in the sports category. Thank you so much to everybody who's already purchased the book, tweeted about it, sent me notes on Facebook or on Instagram. Really appreciate all the support and I'm very pleased by how many of you seem to be enjoying the book. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com law for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash L-A-W for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Now I'm very pleased to be joined by my colleague Evan Drellick. He covers baseball for The Athletic. He and Ken Rosenthal have been all over every story related to the coronavirus shutdown of Major League Baseball, and particularly the negotiations between the league and the union that have been going on since March. Evan, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Keith. How you doing? I'm hanging in there. How about you? That's the right phrase, isn't it? Right? Yeah. I almost feel guilty if I say I'm better than that. Like, there, There's a lot going on in the world, and I'm okay, but the world is not okay. That's kind of how I feel about it. Exactly. 
Yes. So let's talk about this piece. First of all, I th- it feels to me like it's big that this is the first time, as far as I know, that the union has really come back with a very specific proposal since the actual original March agreement to delay the start of the season and put in place, um, you know, preserve service time and talk about pro rata salaries for all of the players. So, you know, first of all, do you view this? Do you agree that this is a significant step forward? And second, talk a little bit about what the Players Association is actually proposing. Yeah, it's significant. In some way, it's also procedural because you knew at some point there was going to be a response. There was at least a chance that the union was not going to give any counterproposal, that they would have just said to the league, no, you have to come back to us with something we don't like this. But the great expectation was they would indeed send something. And I think also, frankly, the expectation was what they would send over would not get it done. And every indication so far is that this has not gotten it done. We're, we're kind of narrowing down the, the choices and ways this could go as time gets removed from the calendar here. But there were things in there that make you think, okay, are these starting points or points that can be continued as the discussions go? And they don't have a ton of time. And that includes the possibility of deferrals for players' salaries in the proposal the PA sent over. Those deferrals would only be come into play if there is a canceled postseason or a halted postseason. Maybe, maybe there's some palatability on the owner's side for deferrals no matter what. And whether the players would go for that is to be seen. Whether that would be enough for the owners is to be seen because they're standing pretty firm that they need further pay cuts. But on the pay component, uh, that, that's where we are right now. So to talk about some of the specifics in here, I I was surprised just on the face of it to see the proposal for 114 games in about 120 days, Uh, just because players in previous CBA negotiations, especially the last one from a couple of years ago, they really value their off days for travel purposes, for rest purposes. That's just always been a major priority for them. And I thought you guys, you and Ken, did a pretty good job of explaining why the players were uh, it almost seemed to have shifted course here and why they were pushing for 32 more games in their proposed regular season schedule than even the owners were. Can you go into that a little bit for f- folks who haven't seen the article? Well, some of it is, or most of it, is the basic math of how they would be paid. So in that March agreement between the league and the union, they agreed to the, the pro rata salary, meaning they're paid on a per-game basis. So the more games that are played, the more money that the players would stand to collect. I also think there's a potential PR gain there of, look, we want to play. We want to be out there. Whereas the owners are sitting there and saying, no, we, we or, or, not saying we don't want to play entirely necessarily, but uh, their desire to play would be to have fewer games. And, and so what does that tell you about those two sides from, from a PR perspective? <laughs> um, so the money attached to it is that the, you're right that the CBA negotiations, particularly the last time around, there was a, a narrative that still exists that the union does not agree with, but nonetheless it is a narrative that exists that they traded off creature comforts and things like scheduling matters uh, for other economic concerns. Um, I don't think they care less now about uh, things like player rest, but in a setting like this where you have to squeeze all these games in 
whatever the number ends up being in a short period of time, what's going to take priority? Well, if their pay is directly attached to the number of games, they, they might care a little bit less about uh, some of those other issues than they have in the past. So I want to touch on something you just mentioned there, too. My sense all along, there, there's, a, there's always a PR angle to even the sort of regular CBA negotiations between the league and the union. And I mean, I know that's true in other sports too, but it just seems like in baseball, maybe this is just because I cover baseball, but it seems like in baseball, the owners have really done an excellent job kind of for 40 something years now of making the players, the bad guy, the players are greedy. The players just want more money just to play this kid's game. And that in this case too, I think that the owners have done a pretty good job of getting their message out in front of the public sooner and so that the players are playing a little bit of catch up here in terms of trying to get their point across even though i personally am much more sympathetic to the players uh desires in this negotiation the things they're trying to secure for themselves do do you agree that that's kind of how the pr thing is side is shaking out so far um particularly just like the players that people don't really get what the players are looking for here and that, that the league has managed to paint them a little bit as the bad guys yeah, it's, it's interesting to me, particularly doing the rounds on radio, um, mm-hmm. where I think in some way a lot of it is colored by preconceived notions. If, if you're older, you might remember the 94-95 strike and, and how the players took a lot of the blame there. Uh, if, if you're younger, if you're on Twitter, you might be in a different position. I, I don't know that... Um, I, I wonder how much the PR efforts actually matter and how much they're... What, what, what opinions are being formed are really just reflective of, of whatever views people already have ingrained in them. Um, you know, when you start to pick it apart, uh, it, it, it's, it's a complex and interesting fight between, the, between these two. And, and there are some people who are just going to tune out right away based on millionaires and billionaires. And, and if you have some strong feeling that it's a child's game and, and you know, I'd be happy to play the child's game for free. <laughs> then you know, it, you know the, the discussion turns very quickly. So I, I you're right that that there is always a, a PR element going on here, and you know, the, for example, you could say that that the league has already floated two ideas: uh, the the revenue sharing plan that did not go anywhere because the union publicly shot it down uh, bef- before the proposal even landed because they they knew they weren't going to touch it. Um, and then you had the second proposal that included the tiered pay cuts. And, and so you, you can kind of cynically or, or uh, maybe it's not even cynically, but you, you can pull apart, well, what were they doing there? What was the purpose of uh, floating revenue sharing? Was it so that they have even more ammunition to say, look, we, look guys, we really tried. You know, we, made, we, we had two ideas and they didn't go anywhere. Is, is that all part of the positioning? And I do think there is a possibility in some of the instances where people get carried away with either side being masterminds. Um, and, and, and particularly on the league side in recent years where there's been, there's been a lot of issues of foresight. You, you could say sign stealing is a foresight issue. You could say that uh, the baseball and, and whether it's juiced or not juiced and the construction of the ball and how much MLB can contr- actually can control it. These are arguably foresight issues. What did you or did you not see coming? So 
that's not saying there's no strategy involved, but there is room here for almost over-interpretation in some moments. I want to draw uh, attention to one of the early lines in this piece that you wrote with Ken uh, that went up on Monday. I'm uh, sorry, on Sunday. Uh, the league's position to this point is that the owners would lose more money by playing than not unless players take a further pay cut. I personally do not believe that that's true, but you cover this. You're probably a lot more in touch with, at least with what both sides are saying. Do you think there's any merit to that claim? Are the owners actually worse off by playing games than not by playing games? Well, the person who who holds the answer to this uh, would be a very, uh, (laughs) potentially very smart and very plugged in person and, and would have, uh, access to documents that we don't have access to, that the union is trying to get access to. It, it's hard for me to sit here and tell you yes or no either way, because th- these are questions of accounting. Um, and, and so the methodology used matters. Um, the union still believes it is the opposite case, that, that the league financially would be better off. It might be the case that they end up losing less money, but what, whatever, whether it's they make more money or lose less money, the union is still convinced that the league would be better off playing under the current terms uh, than it would not be. And the owners are very firm that that is not true. And then you have points being made about ancillary revenues and, and how the leagues account for the teams account for debt and, and things that. Uh, I wish I could definitively say one way or another are true or not true, but we're, we're a little bit at the mercy of uh, experts in the industry, and, and there are few and far between on this topic who uh, can speak authoritatively and, frankly, who can speak on the record about it. it it's, it's just one of those things where uh, you know, Scott Boris had a note that was circulated uh, around just his players that was publicized by the Associated Press, and I had a copy of that as well. Um, you know, there just aren't many people who have the ability to really incisively pick it apart. And that's why the union has its own economists. And, uh, that's why the union is still pushing for further documentation. But yeah, instinctually, I have the same reaction most people do is how can the $10 billion industry, which draws, um, by its own admission, 40% of its revenues from, gate-related income, that means 60% is left, how could it be that they uh, would, would still find it, even if you're losing that 40%, uh, that they could find it not worth playing? It, that, that is hard to understand, um, but I, I can't adjudicate it. So let's talk a little bit about where we stand, to the obviously, all to, to the best of your knowledge, on some of the specifics of what both sides are, are kind of going for here. We talked about the length of a regular season, what about spring training? I know you guys mentioned uh, that the union's latest proposal would talk about some uh, salary advance for, I'm saying spring training, obviously it may be spring into summer training, but some sort of preseason. What what do you think we're going to end up seeing based on where the, what the two sides are proposing right now for a buildup to actual games that count? Well, the, the, you know, the, the advance for the spring training part two I don't think would end up being too contentious because it is just an advance. So if their money, if it's money, they're going to get paid anyway in this regular season. Um, that that would seem to me something that could be worked out. Maybe maybe owners with their cash flow issues say, 
a hundred's too much in total, do less. But they gave a $170 million advance already, and that was covering April and May, so a little bit less than $100 million per month. Spring training, ideally, would be three weeks. The question that looms now is really length, because if you start having to push this back, if you start having to push uh, spring back, can you keep it the same length? And, and that goes to the question of how long is your regular season? And the understanding we have that the postseason would be in November, that, that they're, they're trying not to bleed this thing any later than that. Um, so it's, it's that timing question for spring training that stands out to me. One thing I hear a lot about when talking to scouts and executives as I prepare for the draft next week is this idea of some sort of taxi squad or other group of minor leaguers who would be available as reserves, essentially, you know, saying whatever size the major league roster is, someone's going to get hurt. You're obviously going to need to call upon replacements. Have we gone anywhere in these negotiations with what that might look like in terms of, you know, how many players there might be or who might be eligible or where I don't even really know where they would play or, or, or work as they try to stay in shape to be able to play. But I assume something like this has to exist. Yeah. 45 man roster seems to be the number that that's out there. And, and the idea would be that you wouldn't have everybody active on a given night. So you're not going to have you know, 20 pitchers being used on your Tuesday, but because you're not going to have, or, or very unlikely to have a minor league season, you, know, you need to have your reserves and your, your substitutes. If somebody gets hurt or, or whatever performance is bad with you. Um, and so then there's a question of service time and, and pay for those guys. It might be the case that if, if you're on that larger 45 man roster, uh, you're, you're getting treated just as you are. Uh, if you're on the smaller 25 man roster, it's a question that uh, I should have already asked and, and I've thought about, but I, I don't have the answer to that at this point. What would the breakdown between those two rosters be the larger and, and the daily active roster in terms of pay and service. And they, they might not have the answer yet. That might be one of those things they need to work out. Certainly the union, surprisingly, would, would want as much pay and service time as possible. Um, but that, yeah, that's the plan you have to have because if there's no minor league season and you're, you're concerned about flying people around because of the pandemic, they got to have your guys with you. So when would they work out? I've wondered the same thing, but logically, you just get them out in the field earlier in the day. Uh, I guess it depends on the municipality, but maybe there's, you know, they have the ability to, to, to uh, you know, 10 in the morning, do, do what they need to do, stretch and work out before whatever time you're playing that game that night, I would think. And if you're, if you're a team that ends up in Arizona or Florida for whatever reason, you know, you have backfields there and it becomes even easier. And how about a postseason? There have been suggestions that Major League Baseball might want to put more more teams into the postseason, which you know I'm sort of open to anything, right? I would just love to see baseball played safely, obviously. But um, it also seems to me a little funny to put more teams in the postseason when we're going to have you – know, if we play a shorter season, we're going to have crazier results anyway. Some unexpected playoff contenders will get a chance to get in if we only play – essentially half a season. Do you think that's a possibility? Would the players be open to that? Because my understanding is that doesn't affect their pay as much as just playing more regular season games. And if I have that wrong, please correct me. Yeah, so the proposal the union just sent back included a, a willingness to do two years of expanded playoffs. 
which the union's looking at as as win win because they think it's it's good for the uh, teams and the players because it increases revenue and they believe the fans would like it because it increases excitement and whether it actually increases excitement depends on you know, everybody's personal view there and you're right about the essentially the randomness that this would inspire if you're having a, a half a regular season plus additional postseason teams you know who, who it's it's the 2006 cardinals all over again where you, you might not at the end of the day feel that this was truly the best team but we we already encounter that um the way the playoff structure works anyway remember the league wanted expanded playoffs it was something that was coming up over the winter um and the, the intent was on, on the union's behalf to discuss it later. They basically didn't want to give away a 21 bargaining chip with the CBA next uh, up after next season. Now, like to, if the league wanted to have expanded playoffs, the feeling would be, all right, let's um, let's make that part of a larger package where the players also get what they want. And, and the, all the economic issues that existed prior to this brave new world, that we're in. So it's, it's something of an olive branch on, on behalf of the players. And in terms of the money as it would be today, there is more postseason money in national media deals than regular seasons, about 787 million in uh, postseason national media money in an 82 game season this year. That's an estimate from the league and about 555 million in the regular season. And then, I believe that does not include the accounting for the possibility of an expanded playoff. The league would say to you that it's not really right to look at it as new money coming in because there will be money that wasn't made good on, that they will owe their television partners, um, you know, Fox, take Fox for example, where they have the Saturday game of the week, I believe still, right? That's how that works. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're missing those regular season dates. So, you know, one of the things you do to make up some of those regular season dates is you say, all right, well, here's extra playoff games. or uh, you know, here's They have to make good on the money they're getting from their RSNs and their partners anyway. So it could be a boost and, and, and a cash flow thing that they, they need in the short term. But uh, the league would caution against looking at it as this massive windfall uh, if the playoffs are expanded. But yeah, it would mean more money coming in. Last question for you. Uh, the draft is coming up in nine days from when we record this. Obviously, it's all I'm focusing right now for my writing. I feel like we had a missed opportunity here. Major League Baseball essentially uh, went back to the bare minimum from the agreement that they had with the Players Union back in March. They chose the bare minimum, just a five-round draft. Any players signed who aren't drafted and signed after the draft are limited to a bonus of just $20,000. Personally, I feel like we're just going to lose a lot of players, either temporarily or probably permanently, um, who who might have been drafted after the fifth round in a regular draft. They're just going to decide, I'm you know not interested in being a pro baseball player. They'll go finish their degree, et cetera. Uh, you know, t- just talk, I guess, a little bit about you know how that how we ended up at that point, what went down between the league and the union, because there was one proposal previously that the union declined that I think they felt wasn't very favorable. And, and after that, Major League Baseball just said, that's it. We're just going to the bare minimum. Yeah, the league is looking at it as a cash flow issue where, where uh, there's uh, they already got deferrals in March. So when, when the, the league and the union agreed to that deal in March, it included 
the draft and included the choice for the league. They, the league could do anywhere from five rounds to 40 rounds for the draft, but knowing that uh, the league would be looking at cash flow problems, um, it, it became very clear quickly that the choice is probably going to be five rounds or 10 rounds. And so you're correct. The, the, the league sent over a proposal to the union to have the draft be 10 rounds, which a lot of clubs would prefer anyway, because you're paying pennies on the dollar for young talent. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Goals sometimes of the of the clubs don't always add up to the goals sometimes of the owners. The GMs and, and the owners can sometimes want different things here. Um, the proposal for 10 rounds included other givebacks that the union did not like. It, it kind of came across as double dipping. Um, and so the response to the league was more or less to shove it. And the league's response was, um, all right, you're going to tell us to shove it. Well, guess what, buddy? You're getting five rounds. And that's exactly what ended up happening here. I, I think the, you know, the, the gamble, people, people are, are uh, suggesting the draft destroying minor league baseball and it all fits into that. It does. It, 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 it's all part of the same conversation. But the gamble to me is, is interesting because the, the league people, I think, are looking at it and saying, the kids who would still need to be or, or, or who still should be Major League Baseball players eventually will be. That this is a one-year delay rather than uh, a real disruption of people's future. That, you know, the, the kid, the kid who, who should have gone in the eighth round, well, now he'll just go to college for a year and, and then he will be there. And it's one of those things that's really hard to prove after the fact, but uh, I'm sure someone like you will be able to eventually find you know, the kid who would have been that eighth rounder, but like had mm-hmm. to go work a job now or something. Right. And, and you know, the product, it, it leads to this bigger question of, does it matter if you've made the product the absolute best it can be? No one's going to know who's missing from the sport. You know, it's still the Mets on the field. It's still the Yankees and the Red Sox. You know, so, so it's like, uh, does that make any sense? Am I, am I, am I jibber jabbering here? No, absolutely. I, I think it illuminates some of the ongoing differences between the two sides. And Frank, like you said, I, the name I keep coming back to, and this is Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt was an eighth round pick out of a division one school. It's not, be, he didn't fall because of signability. He fell because the industry said, this guy's an eighth round pick. Uh, every team had a chance to pick him about seven times and they all passed on him. That the Paul Goldschmidt of this year does not get drafted, almost certainly does not take $20,000 to sign afterwards. And I don't know Paul Goldschmidt personally, if he had some, maybe he could have gone and become an accountant, but there's always a chance, right? At that point, he could say, well, I'm going to go back to school, get a degree anyway. Maybe I'll go take a job a year from now that pays me a real salary as opposed to making a pittance in the minor leagues. And those are the guys I worry about. I don't want us to lose the chance of a Paul Goldschmidt. Maybe we don't actually lose somebody like that, but we create right. the it's, possibility. It's a chance. Yes, exactly. Yep. That's, that is the thing that bothers me the most. My guest today has been Evan Drellick, who covers baseball here at The Athletic. His piece written with Ken Rosenthal that went up on Sundays, the Players Association proposes a 114-game MLB season. I encourage everyone who subscribes to go and read it. Evan, thanks so much for joining me. Of course. That's all for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please feel free to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening on. 
And feel free to share the podcast with a friend. We really appreciate all of the support. I'll be back next week with a very draft-focused episode. At that point, we'll be just about 48 hours away from the start of this year's draft. And I'll be previewing it with my friend Jonathan Mayo, who covers the draft for MLB.com. We've known each other about 20 years. We kind of do the same thing, and yet we never seem to agree on players at all. Looking forward to that conversation next week. Thank you so much for listening.